males are born, men are built. This is the Great Man Podcast, where we want you to build great men as you allow other men to build you. Join New York Times bestselling author Stephen Mansfield, along with seasoned leaders of men, Anthony Flemons and J.T. McCrow, as we bring a wide range of experience and expertise to help you become the great man you are designed to be. With you this week are Anthony Flemons and J.T. McCrow. Gentlemen, let us begin with a little housekeeping. So Anthony and I did a episode, and I think this is completely Anthony's fault. Just to put it out there. We got an email from a from from old guy <laughs> that said that we were. Uh, what? How did he? How did he, he say? He said that that you guys made a lot of good points about taking care of yourself and prostate exams. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's no need to put fear in men. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and I think it stemmed from, JT, when I went on this soapbox and I said, hey, you're looking for one characteristic in your doctor that they need to have fingers the size of spaghetti. Yeah. Because they have to do the prostate exam and they felt like that I was making guys have fear because they wanted us to be careful to say that there are other ways. Yeah to be checked for prostate. Yeah, so look, okay, we're sorry. We didn't mean to put fear <laughs> in somebody, but he had a great point. Maybe they do, they have it changed the way that they do exams and stuff. So we just want to say, you know, to, to our listeners who write us, we, we do read the emails and we do take it to heart. And thank you for pointing that out because we don't want guys fearful and not go get checked out for yeah. sure. Yeah, we want them to get checked out. And, so. and there's value. There's yeah. value in what he had to say. And I believe it's called PSA test. And so there's other ways to check for it. But, you know, after doing some even some more study, after getting this feedback, there's a place actually for both. Mm -hmm. So even though that there's new technology and new ways to check, there's some things that can only be found by doing a manual check on a man's prostate as well. So it's it's both and yes to both. But we don't want to scare you away from getting an exam. Yeah, good. No, thanks for the uh, correction. Uh. You told me a story yesterday. You went to the eye doctor. We were talking about your contacts and yeah. how they're bifocals, right? Which is crazy to me. I know times are changing. So, but tell me what you said because it's it's pertinent to this discussion. Yeah. Tell me what you said about what the, what the doctor told you about your eyes. Yeah. So I get this first pair of contact lens, and I get them, and I walk away from the office, and I'm realizing that I can't really see well in the contacts as much as I thought that I would. So I schedule an appointment to go back and I'm talking to the doctor about it. And I, and I say, Hey man, I think I ruined my last test because I'm so used to seeing blurry when I was doing my test, I can make out letters that I actually can't see. So I've gotten so used to seeing poorly that I can make my way through situations and not even see clearly. He was like, yeah, it happens when you haven't worn glasses consistently for a while because your mind get so used to seeing poorly that when you begin to try and correct your vision, your mind is literally fighting against your body because it's used to seeing things blurry. Hmm. So it's, it's seen things I've distorted for so long that it goes, this is what we're shooting for. And when you correct it and begin to see clearly your body actually fights against it, your mind is fighting against it. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And that's what we were talking about on the phone that now that I've got this new pair of contacts, he said, it's still going to take a time for your mind to kind of give up, so to speak, and stop desiring to see poorly 
now that you can see clearly. Yeah. And my point for you doing that was, I think that's where we're at with masculinity. Yeah. We've seen things blurry for so long. When we start to see things clearly, we, we, we actually fight against it for a little bit. Yeah. Until we see, oh, it's fun to see clear. It's, yeah. Because you yesterday we were out and you saw birds up in the sky and you're like, man, I can see a bird in the sky. Yeah, and they're thought, way up there, dude. I can make out what that is. Man, this guy, I thought you weren't supposed to be drinking this guy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but that is, you know. Perspective. Like, yeah, it's, it's the, it's kind of the lens, no pun intended, but yeah, kind of great. pun intended. The lens that I want the guys to listen to this podcast because we're going to take it a little bit different direction yeah. than just your stereotypical talk about toxic masculinity whenever you hear that. And and this is why Steven always wants to hear our perspective because sure. he knows we're not going to stick to the script. <laughs> we're going to get off. But he did throw us a pretty interesting subject. Yeah. Uh, and I loved what he said. And I want to focus on this when he said that toxic, the word actually means poisonous yeah and how the how people used to put poison on a spear back in the old days put put poison or urinate on it whatever despicable thing they could find and hope that it would kill the person or the animal that they're hunting or that they're defending themselves against yeah just hoping that you know that spear would cause a a a wound and that wound would get infected and kill them that was the thought process behind it yeah and and i love that he mentioned that you know when when they were operating in that mode you didn't even have to get a direct hit they weren't necessarily hoping on a direct hit where that arrowhead went all the way in the person if they could just get a tiny nick open the wound somehow yeah the poison that was on that arrow was still gonna affect and feel and get into the system of whoever that was so you didn't have to get a direct hit and that's a, a lot of the things that we do even as men that are off kilter or if we're using the word that we're using today toxic or poison we don't have to hit a direct hit on the people around us it's just the cursory little injuries that we cause man that can cause and, and put this poison in the people and so we have to first admit that that something's going on. Yeah. And it's the constant. So it's not just one wound. It's it's a bunch of them. It's just these little bitty nicks that add up to a lot of blood loss and kill somebody. Yeah. And society is looking at it going, I'm sick of getting nicked by you guy. Yeah, absolutely. And that's emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, you know, all the, all the above. Yeah. So now he did talk about, you know, culturally, what's the differences. So I did a little homework because I know so many people around the globe, actually. So I called my buddies in Peru which I'll be in Peru this month. Can't wait to be there uh, for you guys listening in Peru. I can't wait to be with you. Called my buddy in the Philippines, a guy in New Zealand, uh, just because I knew they would respond, you know, quickly. And there are, here's what I found fascinating. There are certain things that are maybe culturally that are maybe situational, but at the source, man, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Men misbehave similarly across culture. Yeah, it is true. So there, you know, there's some basic things. And, and again, when we talked about the toxic masculinity, there, there are just that word conjures up all kinds of similar things around the globe. Sure. Uh, and some of these are, you know, I'm not saying I agree with these, by the way, but it just is when you're doing the research and you're looking at what people are writing about and saying, I mean, you have your stereotypical, you know, anger, you know, out of control anger, uh, domineering, abuse, verbal, physical, emotional imbalance, uh, sexual objectification of, of women, 
you know, phrases like uh, man up, you know, talking to a little boy saying, you know, don't cry about that, which I agree and disagree with that one, both. Or, you know, boys will be boys where you're minimizing behavior that is hurtful or harmful to people yeah. around them. Violence, emotional uh, illiteracy, sexual entitlement, uh, hostility to femininity. Is that is that a word, femininity? Yeah, you got okay, it right. Okay, good. Um, all those are what is so stereotypical when somebody says toxic masculinity. And there are a few other ones that you found. What what are some of the things that you found that are kind of stereotypical? Yeah, well, I will say when you name that, man, those are kind of universal, but they're at their core, they're symptoms. Yeah, sure. They're not really what's going on. But, you know, JT, I told you that I'm going back. You said, what are some of the things I thought about? I'm going back through the Old Testament right now, man. And there was this cycle, I think it's in Kings, man, where it'd be, you know, and as his father did when someone else would take over the throne and possibly it was to follow, follow the God of Israel. And then there would be, and as his father did, they built monuments and all kinds of things to to uh, recognize other gods. Yeah, sure. And so if if I were going to say one thing culturally, man, is it is that we have normalized uh, the ability for father really to have full impact in in a lot. And I can only speak for for a segment of black community, but I think that that's one glaring thing that there is this missing father that is not able to impart the positive things. Mm. But these men in the Bible, they had fathers, but they were imparting the wrong things. Yeah. And the son was like, got it, got it, dad. Thank you so much. So we have to be, we have to be conscious of that kind of thing too. What is it that we're actually sewing into the boys around us? So one thing culturally for the black community, I know that I, I, I don't have the figures in front of me, but the absence in the home of the father is much higher within African-American communities in the United States. Yeah. So that was one of them. And, you know, two men is just a complete kind of disregard and sexualizing uh, women and culture has given us that. And even even through time, man, we've gotten this stereotype. You mentioned that word of, of black guys are just oversexed. Yeah. Uh, oversexualized. And then as a young guy or as somebody that's growing up, I kind of get taught that that that's part of your characteristic as a man. You know, men will be men. That's the explanation when when we see men cheating or doing things that are not uh, right within the confines of a relationship. So, again, but all of those things, they're just symptoms of a deeper, you know, mishap. Yeah. And also, uh, we talked about even in the black community, as far as athletics go. Sure. You know, and how that's your way out. And so if you're not athletic or if you're not going to be great, you know, you're going to you're going to stay where you're at. I mean, that's. Yeah, you you'll actually get ridiculed because it's one of those boyish questions or men's questions altogether. You know, what did you play? Yeah. What did you play? Yeah. What did you play? And especially if your bill says that you should play a particular thing, this can even be overwhelming too. you know, every tall guy is supposed to play basketball. Yeah. Oh, every yeah. fast guy is supposed to run track. Every big guy is supposed to play football. But if you are not that guy, if you're a guy that wants to, you know, be in a play or you want to do some other things that don't fit neatly into this masculine fold yeah. that society has created, you can get looked at. And I think that when we ridicule those types of things, out of boys, that's getting pretty toxic or poisonous as well. Yeah, this is why the age old question these days: Who's the greatest basketball player ever, MJ or LeBron? Yeah, right. And I'm telling you, it's neither. <laughs> I'm just telling you, Spud Webb uh, is the greatest player 
You cannot be five foot six and win a slam dunk contest and not be the greatest basketball player. You've ever. mentioned that's that. All, I'm, that's all I'm saying. You've mentioned that at least a hundred times. That's, like when you have a mic in your hand, oh yeah, it's my hero. chances are high that you're going to mention oh, that. And it's my I, hero. And I was shocked to find when I was looking at Spud Webb's uh, uh, fan page that you're actually the president, president of Spud Webb's oh, yeah. fan page. So yeah, that was curious. That's my man right there. He yeah. is the greatest. Yeah. But your point is is, is well taken. It's and, and for me, you know, if you don't know about my voice, I'm a white man. <laughs> debatable. <laughs> my African-American friends would say that is debatable. Yeah. But you know how I grew up, uh, you know, just thinking back through my childhood and just things that were taught to me. You know, racism was it wasn't. It's not that racism is taught as much as it is caught. Absolutely. And so you see the behavior of men around you and things they say. I can I can remember being in the presence of, of, of men and they're, you know, just land blasting. They could see an African American family or or some you know, an African American dude or whatever. And sure. man, they're just until he walks in their place of business, then they're like, Hey, how can I help you? You know, yeah. and they they changed on a dime. Was well, a kid, that's like that was kind of confusing for me. Like, wait a minute, you were just cussing him and calling him every name in the book, uh, which back then the N-word was just, it's, it was common. Sure. And But what that taught me was I can think a certain way, but yet act a different way. Yeah. And because if they really knew how I felt about them, they wouldn't purchase my product that I'm trying to sell them. So it was really all about money. Yeah, code switching. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, and other things, you know, you just learn about, and I think, again, this is, pretty across the board because you just said it, but differently is, you know, where I don't know if we were oversexed, maybe we were, but man, it was just, you know, pretty common that you wanted to get a girl uh, in bed and, and how I look, when I look back on it, how I know it was pretty poisonous was because guys lied about it so much. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got her. Yeah. Yeah. No. No, they didn't. Yeah. You no, know, I'm growing up now. I'm like, no, he was lying. You know, but that was kind of the prestige that you wanted that, you know, how many, how many girls can I score? You yeah. know, how many girls can I be with? And that wasn't everybody. I don't want people, because I got people who listen to this that grew up with me. Now, I may not be talking about you, but I'm just saying culturally, that was kind of a thing, you know, as teenagers and yeah. You know, I was uh, I was raised by my mom, so I, I grew up with some values and some uh, some expectations on me that a lot of people may not have had or maybe most people do. I'm not certain. But I remember being pretty proud as I was growing up uh, that I was going to protect my virginity hmm. as a boy. Yeah. And that is not a common thing that wasn't taught to me in the streets or that wasn't taught to me by any man. But it was in me. And I was pretty proud of the fact that I was going to protect uh, my virginity going through life. And I can remember, man, coming up against some different situations where it became evident because I didn't want to partake in particular things that I would have to say, yeah, I'm I'm going to be a virgin. Like, I'm going to keep that. And man, you talking about high ridicule. Oh, yeah, for sure. Being around a group of guys, man, especially if you're getting, you know, 12, 14, 15 years old and you are not just talking about all your sexual exploits, that can be a moment, man, that the toxicity that comes out because people have an expectation that you would be overly sex, that yeah. you would be overly indulging in these kinds of things. But doing something so wholesome as going, hey, I think I want to protect myself. I want to protect, you know, the possibility of pregnancy and, and just stay wholesome that I got ridiculed a lot about it. And I remember it clicked a switch in me and I was like, man, there's this accusation out here every time this comes up that I don't like girls. 
Mm. So I think that I'm going to have to do some stuff to prove that I like girls. Wow. And then that's when, man, I just really went the whole other direction. And I told you on plenty of times, JT, that this as despicable as it sounds that, you know, I collected women. Yeah, it was it was my source of masculinity. It was one of the ways that I could outwardly say I'm a man. Look at me. You know, I have all of this going on and those kinds of things. When they go unchecked, man, you go from being a 16 year old boy up into your 30s and 40s, still believing that somehow that your masculinity is tied to how many conquests you can have or how many women that you can collect. And that degrades and just waters down the value that we have for women, which births all this other stuff that we talk about known as toxic masculinity or poison masculinity or, or all of that. But there's these underlying pressures. And that's what we wanted to get into today is yeah we see the symptoms but what's really going on under the covers so to yeah. speak causing this kind of behavior because we really need to look at that we, yeah. we, we can talk about you know the bad behavior all we want but why are men behaving this way yeah and and these things that we're going to talk about because the one thing coming into this man i just did not want another typical conversation about toxic masculinity is like okay i'm I think since the, uh, you know, Gillette commercial and all the things that have happened, uh, James Cameron, you know, getting rid of his uh, testosterone infection. He said we need to rip this toxin of testosterone out yeah. of the masculine landscape. Like it is it's it's only that. So if we can get rid of this, we fix everything, which is not true. But, you know, one thing that is clear and we're going to go over this non-typical list, I don't think people say they don't think of this as poisonous or toxic masculinity but this is again talk to a guy in the philippines peru new zealand man this was like this is so common and i think it's at the source and not the symptom of of what we're talking about this poison the poisonous side of being a man sure like loneliness so we don't think of loneliness because not you know you said stoicism a while ago you know i'm more of a stoic than I probably care to admit. Yeah. Just my demeanor, how I behave, how I, you know, hold myself. You know, if I go back, cause I like reading stoic quotes, you know, it's like, man, I'm like 90% of them. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's what you should be. You know? <laughs> so, you know, I, when we talk about emotion and stuff, I, I've, I've always considered myself healthy emotionally. My wife would disagree with that. Yeah. Right. You don't know what that word actually means because I'm so even killed most of the time. But this loneliness, because the reason I brought that up is because, you know, you should be able to be alone and still hold true to the character and the traits and the and, and the things that you want to be. And I understand that. But being alone that gives birth to this loneliness epidemic that we're in, that's poisonous to a man. A man who walks alone is, is just a fool. Because it causes it causes you to listen to voices that probably should be checked by somebody and go, no, no, that thinking or what that voice is telling you is just completely wrong. And we see this in our culture for the most part because it's on the news. Anytime there's a mass shooting, it's typically a lonely male, typically. And left to yourself, not everybody that's lonely is going to do that, but left to yourself, you're going to act out something that's extreme. Yeah. You know, being alone, there's value in it. And and I told you just my characteristic or my normal proclivity or set or bent is to be 
internal. It is to be an introvert. And it doesn't work in every situation, but there's value in learning to be comfortable alone. Yeah. You can accomplish some things when you're in your own space and your own own head and able to think through some things. You can accomplish some things. So I'm all about being alone when it is for the sake of others, when it is for the sake of getting better. But a lot of times men, and here's one of those root causes, men get alone because they have failures in their lives that they're trying to hide from those around them. Sure. So if I let anybody too close, they're so, going to be able to see the places that I don't do well in. But then and, they'll reject me. Yeah, they're going to reject me yeah. or even worse, they're going to correct me. Oh, yeah. And it's stuff that I should know at this age of X. And I don't want to be embarrassed because I don't know what I don't know. And, and so being a lonely man is being alone having a desire to be around others, but for some reason, either you're afraid or you are hoping not to actually be known and get judged by it. So that's one of those things, man, that we put ourselves in this vacuum and we come up with all these crazy things alone. And that's why Stephen wrote the book, Building Your Band of Brothers, because he, and it's a great little booklet because you may not even know how to do that. You've been alone so long. And so books like that can help you develop friendships it gives you just a systematic way of doing that but that's the reason why the book was written in the first place because of what you just said yeah you know i came up during a time man that i was dealing with a lot of like emotional wounds and and some abuses in my life and i remember that being alone was my safety valve yeah sure like if nobody was around i didn't have to worry about uh getting you know, perpetrated against. I didn't have to worry about abuse. I didn't have to worry about getting beat or something like that. So when I enjoyed the times that I was alone, but it wasn't a healthy alone. It was trying to protect me from the possibilities on the outside of myself. Wow. So loneliness was your safety net. It was the safety net. And then that gets confirmed in us a lot of times, man, that, you know, that's the way we're supposed to be. If you have a problem, you don't go talk to anybody about it. You sit down and you figure it out yourself and keep yeah. moving on. Yeah. But you operate in in a failed program because you're coming up with the same answers over and over and over. So on that, I want to step in. I have some thoughts. Come on, producer Jay. So can you read some of those submitted examples or research examples of toxic masculinity from earlier again? Uh, you know, I mean, the typical behaviors that people say are toxic masculinity are aggression or being overly aggressive, domineering, verbal abuse, physical or emotional abuse, uh, being emotionally unbalanced or emotionally shut down, uh, sexual objectification of women, sexual entitlement. That that was big in Peru, actually, when I talked to my guy, you know, this, this, the entitlement and hostility toward uh, females. Okay. So kind of jumping off of Anthony's point, like when you look at all of those symptoms together, aren't they all just the result of unresolved issues inside of a man? Yes. Like the three of us in this room have been through some therapy in some shape or form. And like whenever I get in those conversations, you know, you kind of start to learn some language around therapy. You, you get a bit of a new vocabulary. You get a better understanding of, of what goes on inside the mind, your mind and the mind of others. And immediately when I see people acting those symptoms out, I my first thought is not, wow, they're just a jerk wow, they're just a horrible person. Wow, that is just a toxic man. Like you kind of turn into those because you have unresolved issues, because you have traumas you're not willing to face, because you have you have things that are getting the best of you that you're not willing to face or you haven't 
faced or you, you or that are you're facing but they're still conquering you yeah. like that's just all i hear when i hear all these things when when i hear this list is like man those are all just the natural side effects of what happens when you've had things done to you and you don't you don't, you haven't yet fully faced that or yeah. or i'm hesitant to say conquered because it's a lifelong battle really but controlled its effect on you yeah influenced yeah would be a great and it, it takes me to the second one that i wanted to talk about thank you for that that uh that introduction it was unplanned unplanned is blaming past traumas for your present bad behavior yes so you don't take because we're not into behavior modification even though i do think there's there's things that you need to behave even if you don't think that way meaning like i may you know i was listening to a jewish guy today and he said i don't care if you hate jews just treat us nice mm. and now i don't agree with that in, in its entirety, I think that your thoughts always lead to actions, but your actions do need to be further down the road than your feelings, maybe until your feelings catch up or until your mm-hmm. catch up. But when we did, and this is, and this is a poison and this poisons so many men that they, they won't face the responsibility of the traumas in their past, even if it was done to them, right? Facing it head on and get it taken care of. Cause they'll, that's where addictions come in because they're trying to medicate a pain, whether it be sexual, drug, alcohol, work, ministry. I've told you several times, I, I've talked to several pastors that their drug of choice is ministry because they get they get the chemical hit, dopamine hit by helping people. So they become addicted to it. It's where they get applauded. It's where, yeah, that's a great way to, yeah, it's exactly right. You know, and I forget if we said this on a great man or a renovating episode, but that quote, uh, trauma that is not transformed is transferred. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the exact same thing here. Like trauma that's not internalized and, and dealt processed yeah. and dealt with yeah. is then transferred to someone else. And it's mostly transferred to your family. That yes. would, that's the first, because you're, you let your hair down Well, not Anthony's bald, but you let your hair down more around your family mm-hmm. than most anybody else. So they actually, they see the real you more than anybody else. Yeah. You're literally practicing this poor destructive behavior on the people that are most available to you, which is your family. So they get to see the worst of you and then you protect that part of yourself when you go out in public. Yeah. And that's how some of these people are living these dual lives because their family's like, man, this guy's got issues. He's got problems and everybody around him thinks he's a great guy because we're literally practicing these poor behaviors and these toxic behaviors on the people that are closest to us yeah. and loving us. The people that could help us the most, we hurt the most. Yeah. Guys, you got to deal with your past trauma and however you decide to do that, whether that's therapy, whether that's just a, a friend, you know, opening up to somebody, you have to deal with those things because they will, unless they're dealt with, it's what Jonas said, unless they're transformed, transforming is a process of getting rid of things and transforming into something else. If you don't do that, you can just think of, I ask this question all the time, what kind of man do you want to be? I ask that to guys all the time. And, and cause I want them to have a vision of what manhood could be. It's like, man, if you could just dream, what kind of man, what kind of character, what kind of things would you do or how would you behave? Okay. Start taking the steps to act that way. 
And usually you have to get rid of the things that are causing you to act that way in the first place. You just can't keep covering them up. You got to turn and face it aggressively. You want to be aggressive towards something. Don't be aggressive toward your wife. Be aggressive toward the things that's causing you to be that way with your wife. You know, one thing that really pisses me off, though, man, we talk about all these opportunities that we're supposed to create to talk about our wounds and to talk about things that are bothering us. But I think that we as men, we do a really poor job of responding in those moments simply because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. So if a guy comes to you and shares this thing that he's doing that's despicable or something like that, he already thinks that he's going to get rejected. And then if we sit there in silence when a guy tells us that, I mean, we train a man not to share those kinds of things. So if it was one thing, JT, that I think that's important for men to realize is when somebody builds up enough confidence to come to you and share this thing that's going on with them, that could be a root cause like wounds or things that have happened in their past, man, that we probably need to role play and go, how would I respond to this? man? Yeah. Because it's helpful when someone feels comfortable to be able to talk. And this is a good place, man, to unroll your blooper reel, because we have situations in our lives that will parallel these moments in other people's lives. Yeah. But if we sit up and act like, man, we've got to figure it out and make them feel like, you know, they're the ones with the big issue that nobody else has. Men won't talk about it. And that's a real thing within masculine culture, man, that we won't talk talk about the failures because honestly man through throughout creation when a weakness was spied in a guy it was the very thing that they were going to use against you. Yes. And, you know, we just talked to George Foreman. If he noticed that he had actually damaged somebody's ear, he was going to beat the crap out of that ear because that was his way to victory. And a lot of times men, man, as we feel that we're competing, air quotations, at all times with other men around us, when we perceive something in them that is not quite right or it's in error or something like that, rather than address it and help them to get better, we use it as a thing to beat on. Yeah. Because it helps us to win in business, in relationships, as we seek out wives and mates and all those kinds of things. When we see these weaknesses and we're happy to point them out to the person that we're competing for. Well, you you see this guy is this or he's that. But we won't stop and say, how can I help you grow for the sake of others? Yeah. We need to get in the habit of being open to these moments when men are being real with us. So I think that that might be a good tool to have is to role play these moments, man, with friends around you being open saying those things that you haven't ever told anybody else and just learn how to work through those things because there's value in just simply saying it. Yeah, it's almost like we we want to defeat men and not be a part of he- healing the man. And it, you know, more healed men around you and you're stronger. Having a bunch of wounded men around you and you push them down all the time because of their weaknesses, it does not help you. Do you think it's natural that we're always looking at everybody around us as the competition. Is it natural? Meaning, I think that it is. Meaning that's just in our DNA. Yes. Well, maybe because of, you know, if you if you go back in time, a, a lot of the things that we're that we say are toxic now were probably more balanced back in the day just because you had to have them to survive. Sure. Right. You you had to have these certain traits. You talking about toxic testosterone? Back in the day, you wanted testosterone because you you had to do things. You had to survive. You had to, you know, kill animals. You had to protect your family against other other forces. You had to do a lot of things that you had to be strong, both physically and mentally. And you couldn't let things, you know, I probably there wasn't a lot of depression back in the day. Or if you had it, you just got killed. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> again, I'm not putting down. Dep- it's just we've come a long way to yeah. where. The things that we say are toxic were 
probably needed to answer your question. I do think it's in our DNA. Yeah. But, but I just think back, man, that there's value in all of these things, man, that we look at that have gotten out of kilter, like dominance. I mean, if we look at a time, man, I think it's everybody's desire to be great at something. And then when you're great at it, then you want to exemplify that and you want to show it off. And then you get recognized for being great at it. And then it can push you past just this desire to perform well into a desire to push everybody down so you look like you're performing well. You know, here's something to think about, though. Dominance, it's it's always in its when it's not balanced because humans love dominance. Yeah. I mean, we're playing NBA playoffs right now. You want your team to dominate. In fact, you want your team to win by 40 points. I mean, so the, the whole thing of dominance, it's just when it's, I think it's when it affects you personally that you don't like it. And then you say, well, that's toxic. Does that make sense? Yeah. So think about this though, JT, dominance. There's a place for the desire to be dominant in a thing, to be the best of its kind, to be able to exhibit that you are better than everybody. But then there is this place of being domineering. Yeah. Where you take what it is that you're an expert in or that you're most powerful in and you exert that over to other people, say like physical strength yeah, or say like being able to argue better than somebody else. Then you begin to exert that authority and that dominance over people to an extent where it's no longer just you being observed as being dominant or, or capable in this area. You are becoming domineering. You're Overbear- using it's you're, overbearing. Yeah. You're yeah. using it as a weapon. Yeah. And then that that's a comfort zone, too, yeah. because if I can just dominate this one thing and I can turn every conversation back to my physical strength, I don't have to deal with being emotionally available. I don't have to deal with learning how to share the responsibilities of raising my kids or all these other things because I've mastered this thing. So this is where I'm going to, I'm going to live. I'm going to live right here. And a lot of men, man, we get lazy in those places and anger and physical ability is one of those areas that we feel like that we can master. And then we exert that over everybody in our houses. Because I told you one time about me having a discussion with my son And I got frustrated. And rather than try and have a discussion with him, this is an embarrassing moment, but I grabbed him by his collar. I literally lifted him up in the air. And even to this day, my son looks back at that moment and go, man, you were out of control in that moment. But we will. We will take these things, you know, our physical strength and all these kinds of things. And we call order to a situation. I can't I can't negotiate with you. I can't explain my point verbally. I can't compel you through a good argument. So I'm just going to be dominant. Physically, and we do it in our households, and we even do it with other guys and men. And those men are lonely. It creates a lonely place for a man. You know, I was talking to my friend in Peru. This is lived out in Peru because it has one of the highest murder rates between husbands and wives in the world because women are coming up in prominence. Men are threatened by it, and instead of dealing with it in a healthy way, they just kill their wives. Now, that's the extreme of the anger and the domineering, but that's where it takes you. It can take you to that point if you don't deal with it. Yeah. You know, there's there's some other ones, and I'll just hit these just super quick, but it's it's like expecting to be served without serving. That's a poison to a relationship where you feel like that you need to be served all the time, but yet you don't have to do anything. And this is something I think that Jonas's generation is doing a better job at, because I can remember my dad never changing a diaper, not ever. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just, this is the progression where I did some, not all, but Jonas's generation is way more involved in child raising than even my generation oh, I'm, was. I'm changing 
more diapers than I care to right now. <laughs> My point made. Uh, the other thing is rewarding bad behavior while demanding good behavior. Uh, that's a that's a poison. Again, I, I'll, I'll go back to Peru just because it was it's on my mind. But the big thing in Peru was dads taking their sons to a prostitute so that he can become a man. So he's rewarding bad behavior and saying, "Hey, this is a good thing," because now you have a father telling a son, "This is how you become a man." I mean, that's that's so far beyond my my thought process. I just. That blew my mind whenever he told me that. Well, it's alive and well here in the States too, man, because it's not, maybe it's not tied so directly together. You know, will this do this and then you become that. But the pressure to be sexually active and just overly so, the pressure to do that is alive and well here. And it's how we measure men all the time, man. He's a ladies man. Oh, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. he's able to do this. And we applaud guys that are able to chain together, you know, 16 girls and manage it all. Yeah. And but but we don't think about what if one of those was my daughter. Sure. I was talking to a guy the other day having a discussion and he's recently divorced and he's talking about how much more fun he's having now. And he's able to, to kind of just spread his seed wherever he wants to go. Oh, Lord. And, and he feels good about it. And it was the worst part of being married, man. And Did you, you tell know, him he was the size of a mustard seed. No, man. But what I did say I is, is so you feel OK, you know, behaving this way, but you have a daughter. Yeah. So is your daughter significant other is her boyfriend going to have the same freedom to be able to perform that way within their relationship and you're going to be okay with it you're going to understand that man he needs to go and just sow his seeds and your girl needs to just sit there and wait and wait her turn but we teach these lessons man a lot of times without teaching them are are they just built out of selfishness yes but we're just teaching these lessons the same way in Peru we're teaching the same lessons that there's some value in being able to go and have you know consecutive one night stands rather than being responsible with the one person or the person that you love yeah which leads me to I think this is a major poison among men this is definitely among men now I know women do this too but the majority of it is men and that's watching porn Watching porn is such a poison to your soul. The statistics are, I mean, just look it up. They're out there. I mean, this is this is billions and billions of dollars spent on porn. And all it's doing is poisoning your mind, poisoning what you think about women, poisoning what you think about sex. It poisons your entire thought process when it comes to love because it deforms it. It has to deform it. We're talking about a relationship between a man and a woman. It, it just deforms it. Here's this thing too, JT, you talk about this from time to time that when people are not married or they're not in uh, in committed relationships, that the sex that they have out there, once they get into these relationships, they go, well, what happened to that? I mean, you used to do this all the time yeah, and you used to do that all the time, but I'll go back to this thing, man, that when we are unattached, there is a competition going on for your attention. And we put these, expectations on the women around us to behave or perform in these particular ways. And a lot of times we get these ideas from watching porn and we forget on that. We forget they are actors. This is not real life, right? This is, this is like watching an action movie and knowing that that car did not jump building to building and stay intact. It's a movie with actors. And that's what these porn people are. So when we're watching all these kinds of, 
uh, different activities in porn, man. And, and you'll, you'll have people, man, that tell you that there's a value in it. But what I'm going to say is when we see all this behavior in porn, and then we put those expectations on the women around us that they are secretly competing. Yeah. And so it's the same way when we look at people that are dressed this way or that way, they're competing because they're saying, well, if I want to be in the game, I need to wear this. If I want to be in the game, yeah. I need to behave this way. And then once they secure the mate, all of a sudden the things that they weren't really into are the things that were not really bringing them joy. They pull back on those things because they've, so to speak, won the competition. And that's why some of these acts and things that we were chasing when we were single disappear within the context of relationships because they weren't the real desire. That's right. It was what they did to compete in the arena. That's right. And men behave the same way. Like we're competing out there and performing all these things that we think that women need, that women love, that women want from men. But once we win the competition, you know, we don't do date night anymore. We don't compliment our wives anymore. We don't say things to build them up. We're being overly critical because we're not competing anymore. We feel like we achieved and won the prize so we can begin to act out away from the things that we don't really desire. Man, that was great thoughts, actually. That was probably the best of the podcast right there. Mm. <laughs> best of the episode. I do want to leave, you, though, with, with a couple practical steps because we always want to do this. You know, if you if you listen to any of those things and you go, yeah, that's I deal with that. I do. You know, I do that. I'm just going to say three things and they're super simple, super easy to say, not easy to do. Number one, you have to take personal responsibility of your actions, assess them, acknowledge them, get some accountability, put some action steps in place and change not because culture tells you you should but you should want to change as a man because you want to be the best version of yourself on that man there's a guard that i talk about all the time on our podcast man it's even when you feel like that you're 100 percent right always ask yourself the question what if it's me yeah that's great there's always space for you to be wrong but we get into this mentality that because i believe it and i sincerely believe it it's got to be right leave room for being wrong and go what if it's me yeah i think it'll be a good character building thing for every man when you walk away from these situations where someone has had a disagreement with you to just go what if it's me yeah it's great number two put don't minimize your issues and maximize someone else's or magnify is a better word. So I can't minimize what I'm going through because once you start minimize it, then you'll continue the behavior. But if you magnify it, meaning, man, I'm going to look at it closely, just like a magnifying glass. I'm going to look at this so close. It's like, you know, one of those mirrors you get in. I love going to those hotels. They got that mirror that you put up to your face. And I think I can see the back of my head. Every dirty Dude, pore that you I have. I mean, it's crazy. But yeah. when you do that with your situation, then you'll start dealing with the little things that will add up to the big things later. And it's just really putting a magnifying glass on my issues, what I'm dealing with, and let's get these taken care of. This is a good one for relational kinds of situations. A thousand times within the context of my marriage, if my wife has come to me and said something that I know is legitimate, it is more attractive to me to go, well, what about this in you? Rather than just take the comment and go, yeah, there's some truth in that. Yeah. But there is value in sometimes not fighting every battle. Yeah. You don't have to pick out the negative thing in the next person to be able to receive something negative about yourself. It makes us feel better. Well, you do this, 
But what about the thing that I mentioned? Because if you really want to resolve disagreements, take it into consideration that, okay, so this is true. I can see a vein of truth in it. So let me attend to that. It'll make the person telling you feel a lot better about resolving the issue. Yeah, it, th- they'll definitely feel valued and they'll become a help and not a hurt in your life. Mm. When people become a help, they like helping you do things now, man, there's so much more peace sure. in your life. And lastly, and this is just a, a, a practical thing to do, to take a little time and meditate and write down the behaviors that you want to change. Write down the things that you see as toxic, as you see as poisonous. And I, and I like the word poisonous better Look at the things, how you're affecting other people. Let me say it this way. Like Stephen said in the last podcast, they used to urinate on the tip of the spear in hopes that it would infect somebody. So a great way to say it is, what am I pissing on hoping that it hurts somebody? Mm-hmm. Just write it down because w- once you write something down and you actually see it in black and white, it does something to your mind. And, it, and you really know that you need to change that. So again, take personal responsibility. Don't minimize when somebody comes to you with, hey, I see this in you. Don't minimize it and magnify something that they do. Really take that to heart and magnify what they're saying about you and see if it's true. Probably there is some hint of truth in everything that somebody says. They may get 90% wrong, but that 10% may could really help you change, become a better version of yourself. And then just take time to meditate and write down the behaviors. These are all things that are necessary that we have to do. If we don't want to be toxic, we don't want to be poisonous. And like Jonas said so, so well, the things that you're not going to transform will be transferred to your kids and to the people around you. And as men, we don't want to do that because that's one of the arts of great manhood. To join the great man community or to book Stephen, Anthony or JT to speak at your men's event, go to greatman.tv. There, you'll also find incredible resources to help you become the great man you are made to be. The Great Man Podcast is a Wise Company production.